welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, independent college counselor and school counselor at St. Henry District High School in Erlanger, Kentucky. And I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School in Hebron, Kentucky. With us today is Mike Piergowski, English teacher at Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, podcast producer and occasional contributing co-host who is a case study in awesomeness. Darn right he is. So Chris... New episode. I'm excited. New year, 2022. I'm pumped. So let's get started with this. A lot of times when we talk about something related to our professions, we make the joke that we're going to save the world of college admissions. Yes, we do. Today might actually be the day. Because in today's episode, we are going to fix the college admissions process once and for all by streamlining the process into what criteria is important and necessary to evaluate a student by looking at a case study. We're going to look at one of the largest public university systems in these United States. However, before we get to that, Chris, I know I can see it. I can see it through my computer screen. I think you need a few moments to relieve yourself of some anger and frustration in a segment that we'll call today Chris's podcast rant session. Chris, my friend, what's troubling you, buddy? I don't know why I'm laughing. I think you're laughing when I'm nervous or something or angry or frustrated. I'm not sure. Just let it go, buddy. Tell tell us what's wrong. All right. So here's where this started. I had a student forget to do the SRAR for Clemson and Penn State. And like, I feel all this this responsibility, like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible freaking counselor. I've been doing this for like almost 30 years and I'm awful at this. And people, you know, in the private side, people pay me money to do a good job and help remind their students to do things. So part of this, maybe I'm just defensive. You know, I I think to myself, like, why am I mad? Where's this anger coming from? Why Why am I so mad about this SRAR? Maybe I should just be mad at myself. And in the SRAR is the self reported academic report and and i reached out to a few colleagues to explain like why the hell students have to do it it's basically a kid taking their whole transcript ninth grade maybe a little eighth even depending on when they took some high school classes eighth or ninth grade on typing it in meticulously into into a a website they have to log into and tell the college their grades line by line but here's, here's what got me. Okay. So colleges bill the SRAR as this benefit to students. They don't have to get a transcript through their counselor. Gee, that could save the counselor so much time. And they have more control of the process. You know, maybe it's September and you get to tell the college all your grades. Awesome, right? Oh, my God, colleges are so nice. In the honor of the late Billy Mays. But wait, there's more. Some schools recommend it. Some schools require it. But ultimately, you'll still need to send your transcript. So that has to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. And by the way, where do you think the kids get the transcript? 
to fill out the SRAR. That's right, from the counselor. Instead of clicking a button online, which I can do easily to send a transcript to a college, I have to stop what I'm doing, print one out, and hand it to them, or save a PDF to my desktop, attach it to the email, send it. I'm happy to help kids in any way. Trust me, I've done that for a long time, and I love it. But this is not what I'm talking about. They will have to take action in some way. All that, and then you, you, you have another step in an already mystifying, baffling, bewildering process. But ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, that is not the end of the story. It's not just about my time, not just about a couple extra minutes to send a transcript after I've already printed it off and given it to the students, and then they've struggled with the website for hours and fought with their parents because it hasn't been done. But why do you think, why do you think the colleges actually want students to fill out the SRAR? I can tell you this, it's not what they're billing, and it's not about making life better for a student. See, here's the deal. Transcripts come in all shapes and sizes, and the application processors need to get the grades into their software all the same way. Let that sink in. Yep, instead of staffing this task, they pay a software company to find a way to make students do the work. And then all the grades get put into their little college website all perfectly so they can start to read the transcripts. This, 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 this whole earth-shattering thing is, is ridiculous. Uh, as our good friends at Kentucky Country Day will tell us, every time you add a step to the process, the gap between the advantaged and disadvantaged increases. We should be simplifying. Every decision colleges make about their processes should be to simplify. And, and finally, don't even get me started on how annoying the actual website is. I, don't e I know it doesn't even work for block schedule kids like you have, Joel. No, I, it doesn't. I felt like I needed an extra degree or two to figure out how you can be on the SRAR website, but then like you're also on the college website, but, but you only have to do it once. But you submit it back on the college website, and, and choosing the names of courses don't match up to the courses you have in your high school, so you have to make your best guess. But the language in the website is so freaking terrifying that, if you, if you, that, that you feel like if you click the wrong button, you're never going to get kicked out of the college for, for fraud. I mean, give me a freaking break. This whole thing is it's making me very angry, Joel. Mm-hmm. This is a family-friendly show. It is. And I can't. You I, almost said something you shouldn't. I did. I even, I even kind of just uh, the word was ready. And I can see it on 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 your the lips. Yeah. Listen, uh, just take the microphone before I pass out. And we don't even have microphones. We're virtual. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Just take it from here, please. You know, here's here's the funny part of this. Usually, when you have a rant like this, and you know, it's either here on the show or you call me at work or whatever. I mean, a lot of times I try to kind of calm you down a little bit Thank you. And, and to reason with you. I'm not even doing it this time because everything you said is spot on. Um, I, you know, taking a transcript that, that's already electronic and then just retyping it in again. Chris Reeves, I accept your rant. I agree with your <laughs> rant. More, Thank you. more people ought to listen to your rant. I mean... Totally, totally pointless process. I've never understood it. 
I haven't been doing this 30 years, but I'm getting closer to 20, and I have no idea why it even exists. So good job, buddy. I, I appreciate you being angry and upset because you're doing it for the kids, buddy. I feel better now. Yeah, I, I bet you do. I do. I bet you do. Thank you. So, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump into revamping the entire college admissions process to guess what? Hopefully make it simpler. Yes. But first, this reminder, Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford is part of the NACAC College Admissions Podcast Hub, where you can find a variety of podcasts that delve into the world of college admissions. For instance, check out The Crush. Quote, Davin Sweeney is a college counselor who thinks The Crush sums up the way most people feel about college and college admissions. Experiences with higher education are fundamentally human ones, and this interview series explores this world with experts in a diverse range of fields, end quote. Let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where today we are going to end the confusion of the college admissions process by standardizing it across the board. And to do that, Joel, we're going to use the example of one of the biggest public university systems in the United States, the University of California system. To start, let's mention the, the different campuses in the UC system. And then look at what students will submit in the application itself. Now, when you when you and I hear UC, we think of, of University of Cincinnati. Exactly. Most students in our our neck of the woods apply to UC. They're they're talking about Cincinnati, but there's a much bigger UC out there. So that and that's the University of California system. And as as we get ready to talk about how this system works, let's let's bring our awesome guest in now. You sure. know, normally we do we do an explanation of like the thing, defining terms, going through that sort of that sort of information. And then and then we bring our guest in for the analysis piece. But I just feel like uh, somebody from from out that direction who we respect very much would be really helpful even in this portion of of the episode. And, and maybe she can help us out. And man, you two are tight. So why don't why don't you do the honors? I'd be happy to. So today's guest is none other than Sonia Ryan, Director of College Counseling at Justin Siena High School in Napa, California. Prior to that, she was the Director of College Counseling at St. Mary's College High School, a school counselor at Rodriguez High School and Alhambra High School, hope I said that right, and a counselor at Solano Community College, all in California. She has a Bachelor's of Arts degree from Sonoma State University and a Master of Arts degree from Sacramento State University. She was also the president of the Western Association for College Admission Counseling during the same time I served as Kentucky president. So we spent three years in the same affiliate president's class at NACAC. Her picture is on my wall with my classmates in my office. So I see her face all the time. Um, she's hanging off of a Star Wars poster, but that's okay. That's just that's that's where the, the eye only level. picture not Star Wars in his office, though. Pro- so that's probably, good. probably. So, but uh, anyway, she is definitely one of my favorite people in the profession. She's one of my favorite classmates, and now she's going to be one of our favorite guests here on the Get Schooled podcast. Sonia, thank you for having oh. me. Wow, what an introduction! Forgot about some of those years. 
like you said, a walk back memory lane, right? To all the schools you had worked in. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. You see a list like that and, and it does connect to all the people and, mm-hmm. and the, the trials, tribulations, successes that all kind of happened along the way, all in one little paragraph. So we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about what you know is UC um, and kind of go through, we kind of wanted to go through their process a little bit and just sort of look at what we liked and maybe some things that they do that other colleges and systems don't do, but maybe um, they could take a, take a lesson from the UC system. Um, and so Chris, probably the first thing we need to do, uh, what did we find out as far as UC campuses? Where are they located? Yeah, let me, before I do that, I okay. think just to just to clarify for for readers, like the point the point of this episode is simply, well, I just said it to simply to to simplify things. It's how can how can this whole crazy system of college admissions be more streamlined? And what we're attempting to do here is show an example of of how it could be mm-hmm. and how it is. Because you're talking about UC Berkeley, UC Davis, UC Irvine, UC LA, UC Merced, UC Riverside, UC San Diego, UC San Francisco, UC Santa Barbara, and UC Santa Cruz. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten campuses. And it's a huge, huge system. Uh, how do they how do they work together and how do they how have they made things better for students? And that's what we that's what we want to. That's what we want to get to. Uh, what did you have on, on plan for this next piece, Joel? So, you know, looking at at some of the things that they require and some of the things that kids okay. uh, will need to have information on. Um, so, here are some of the sections that that seem to be common in the application. And, and Sonia, definitely jump in because you've seen these applications way more. Than, than we're going to have seen them, but let me let me ask Sonia really quick. Do you do you have like every single student you work with? Probably just about just about every single kid does this application. I'm guessing. At my school, yes, and in past schools, absolutely. Absolutely, okay. right. All right. So obviously, one section has got to be like, what campuses are you interested in, um, and what what major are you interested in. Okay, so Sonia, is that like the one application and they can pick which campuses that they're interested in? So there is one campus, uh, excuse me, one application for nine campuses and uh, just a little small bit of information. There's actually a 10th campus, but it doesn't uh, offer an undergraduate program. And that's San Francisco. Francisco. Correct. Yep. Oh, good call, Joel. Man. Part of our research. I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, All right. Yeah. One application, nine campuses, makes it really easy for students to access. Okay. Uh, so then it's going gonna, it's gonna to ask about academic history um, from schools uh, you've attended in high school. Um, again, um, this, this kind of sounded a little bit like a, is, is this an SRAR? A little bit, but they don't get the transcript. Is that right, Sonia? Correct. We don't submit per their request, a official transcript with the application like we do for other applications. Okay. So, so it's, so the difference in this and in Chris's rant, it's one piece not doing the same thing twice. Right. The okay. students are totally self-reporting. Okay. 
test scores, um, here's a big one. Uh, from what we found out, SAT and SAT, SAT and ACT test scores are not considered when uh, considering admissions or scholarships. Uh, if you do send them, it looks like the only thing that they'll use it for may be course placement after you enroll. No test scores at all. Right. Woo. You know what I'm going to do? I'm making a little notes as we talk, and I'm going to put things under the more confusing category and the less confusing category. <laughs> no test scores definitely fits under the less confusing category. Okay. Now, it did It did say AP exams, IB, things like that. You, you might can report those. But as far as the big two, nothing, right? Right. All right. Didn't they just vote that they were just out? Like for as long as as long as they don't revote, it's out. Correct. It is not coming back. It's big time right there. That's huge. All right. Then there's a section on activities and awards, mm -hmm. um, and they give you categories of classifying each activity or award, um, mm -hmm. and volunteering, community service, work experience, that sort of thing. Even um, A through G classes, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's a personal insight. Um, and it looked like there are eight questions and you have to answer four of the eight, 350 words max per question. Does that sound yeah. correct? Yes. Okay. And there is a scholarship and program section too, where the students can select scholarships that they want to be considered for. So then does that open up? extra tasks then based on the, the scholarship or is it just no, it's wonderful the student oh. there's it's based on categories and the students can go through and check the box to those that they believe apply to them but the, but there's no there, there's essay. no extra essay nope Chris, so, so that's, like, the, so, that's the less category. I'm going to put that in less confusing <laughs> as opposed to uh, one of our local flagship universities in our state where you don't have access to the scholarship stuff until you get admitted, but then it's due at the admission deadline. So you have to turn in early to get the stuff turned around. And then all of a sudden you have an additional like four essays that are, that are ridiculous and may end up in our next episode. Yeah. I think it's beautifully mainstreamed. Yeah. And oftentimes my students, after filling out the application, because remember, they've never done anything like this before. So there's all this worry going into it. But then when they complete it, they always come back and say that was doable. Right. That's write, that, write that quote down, Chris. That was doable. Because that's what we're trying to get to, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to get to. And I have found with... Because I'll have, I mean, you're, so you're talking about every student you have ever worked with has probably done this application or almost. And we maybe get three kids a year, you know, like in, my, in our class who are, who are doing this application, something, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I still have found the website really good mm -hmm. as far as websites go and how, how it's navig navigable. I would agree. Kudos to UC. Yeah. No doubt. So then the only thing that, that seems to be left, there was an additional comments field, if there's something that you want to talk about that's not somewhere else, mm -hmm. um, and then review and submit. I mean, is it really that easy? It is. One feature that I'll mention is even though it's one application for nine campuses, each campus 
application fee is $70. Right. So um, that could, you know, it's not $70 for all nine. Right, right. And so that is something that I remind my students and families about um, for the cost. Is it uniform across the schools? It is. $70 for campus. I'll put that under the less confusing line. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely. Um, And they, 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 do they, how do they handle free applications with, uh, like free reduced lunch populations, those types of things. Right. In the personal information, when they ask for some parent family information, there is a question about family income and number of household, and that will determine fee waiver eligibility, and that's all part of the application. So when the student gets down to payment, they will know whether they met the fee waiver eligibility or not. Um, so there might be a zero cost at the end, or there might be, you know, whatever total, depending on how many colleges they chose. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And before we move on further, backing up to the activities and awards section, I think I know what this looks like, but I've always felt like it was way better than the common application section on activities in, and especially in that, well, two things. One, you could put a lot more than 10 things down. If a total of 20. Total of 20. All right. So up to 20 things. But also the follow-up questions change based on the category. So if you choose mm-hmm. like work experience as as one thing you do, then the questions behind it are related to having a job. If you say service club, then then the then the follow-up questions behind service so, relate to being in service. So wait, the 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 program conforms to the student. Yes. The student doesn't have to conform to the program. Right. So you're always answering questions like, well, what should I put here? And then we we talked earlier about how we kind of have to guess a little bit, but we're pretty sure what to say because the, the software doesn't doesn't change, but a, a kid's situation changes or like when you're filling out something versus regular schedule versus block and all that stuff. But but yeah, that's a good way to put that, Joel. The, the software conforms to what the student needs. Wow. Who knew that? A student-centered process. This is looking pretty good. It is looking good so far. So far. Let's do digging. <laughs> Here, here's one thing that I, I actually was impressed with. When we started researching for this and I started looking at, at this admissions process, the one thing that I liked was that it's pretty well, it seems to be pretty well spelled out what factors the colleges are going to consider when a student applies. Like it's actually in print on the website. There's no real mystery to it. Now, now, with the understanding this is a human subjective process. But, well, but, sure. but the things that are being considered are listed in print. Well, okay? it, doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that it's difficult to, for, any, for any group of people to take 100,000 plus applications and then decide X number of seats. Like that's, like, that's not easy for any college, not right. easy for UCLA. So let's, let's go through real quick. Um, can I, can I just briefly mention, Chris, what was on, what was listed for, for what's being considered? I, I, won't, I won't read it word for word, but um, here's the direct quote for the first part. As we consider each individual application, and rest assured, we do consider each one, we look beyond grades. We spend time evaluating your academic achievements in light of the opportunities available to you and your capacity to contribute uh, to UC. So 
academic grade point average in all completed A through G courses, which we'll define in a minute what that means. And honestly, it, it's going to make complete sense when we tell you. Um, number, content, performance, and academic courses beyond those A through Gs. Um, number of and performance and honors, AP. Um, here's one that, that we're going to ask about here in a little bit. Identification as being ranked in the top 9% of your class by the end of your junior year. Quality of your senior year program. Quality of your performance compared to the opportunities at your school. Performance in one or more subject areas. Um, outstanding work in projects. Special talents, achievements. Um, you know, life experiences, how you've overcome, um, location of your secondary school and residence. So, you know, a lot of those things on the list are the things that we know are important. You know, strong course load, good performance in those courses, um, being involved outside of the classroom, that sort of thing. I just we feel like, oh, I'm oh, sorry, first... Sonia, go ahead. My bad. I, I interrupted. Keep going. It's you refer, you refer to them as what? The 13 factors. Really? Oh, that's just what you call it, the 13 factors. And they don't. And a kid, I'm assuming, doesn't have to have all 13. <laughs> like, not necessarily. It's not a requirement. Right. It's just... The 14th, which is now removed, was testing. Oh, so, all right. So the whole process is so standardized that you can actually have a term to describe those factors. And teach that to students. And teach that to students. And I do. Um, through many of my college application workshops, when we're focusing on UC, we review the 13 factors and each student gets to kind of look at their oh, cool. apps, you know, high school experience and identify what their factors are, what are some of their strengths and what are other areas that they're working on. So whether you're working with freshmen, thinking about their high school time coming up or thinking about juniors in the summer before senior year, it's, it's a way for them to reflect on themselves. This process, okay, it, it's, it's seeming to be too good to be true almost. Um, I, I know the, 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 our judgment is still out at this point, but. Um, so ah, my mind's made up. Let's he, keep going. Here, here's one question that I really did think of as, as I was continuing to look at this. If you apply to more than one campus, do they know? that you've applied to each other's campus? And the answer seems to be that every campus will make their decision independently without knowing the status of another campus. So they can't say, I'll take this kid if you take that kid and so on. There's, there's no behind the scenes game playing by these campuses. Um, right. The other nice thing I saw is if there is something that one campus wants to consider for themselves, they have they seem to have that in print as well. So just as an example, uh, I saw at UC Santa Cruz, they're required, they tell you, because I was interested being out of state, our requirements for out-of-state applicants are nearly identical as those for California residents. The only difference is that non-residents must earn a minimum GPA of 3.4. So it's spelled out, if, if you wanna come into the UC system from out-of-state, and you want to go to Santa Cruz, this is what you've got to have. So again, right there in print um, for, for applicants to see. I can share another one. Um, at this time, UC Berkeley is the only UC 
that has like a lottery system, if you will, to request letter of recommendation. And uh, the students are notified after they submit the application. It's totally random. Um, and they have an opportunity to upload, if they're chosen, a letter of recommendation from an academic teacher. Interesting. So how do they use that? Um, I believe that this is an opportunity to get more information about the student. But it's from a teacher, not a counselor. Great question. I'd have to clarify. I okay. believe it could be either or. But if it if it is either or, they have a better chance of having access to to a teacher than maybe right. if they're in a school where the counselor ratios are not good. To right. be nice, but other than that, they don't they don't they don't need letters for any of these schools. Like that's the piece that, that did not come up earlier. So, like for the other eight, they don't need a a letter. They don't use that process. No, they won't. They won't even read them. I mean, there's nowhere to send it. There's right, right. There's nowhere to. This is in particular, like the UC UC Berkeley in particular will send an email to the student and give them a time frame window, and um, and it's usually from a faculty, like you know, a teacher or somebody who can respond based on their academic contact or you know. So I believe a counselor can do that. But usually when I have a student is in that situation, we go to an academic teacher. Right. I think you'd want that, honestly. No, no, Chris, real quick, because we've said it a couple of times. So I kept seeing when I was reading through all this A through G courses. Right. And I, I was like, what the heck is an A through G course? And then when I found it, I was like, oh, well, that I'm dumb. Just not knowing the terminology. Sure. So Real quick, A is history, B is English, C is math, D is science, E is a language other than English, F is visual and performing arts, and then G is a college preparatory elective. So when they're looking for those A through G courses, it's pretty much the, the curriculum that most students are going to take in high school. Right. Right. So. And then as, as, as Sonia said, in the activity section, if there's a certain course that doesn't fit any of these, because the, the, the G college preparatory electives, I believe, are pretty clearly defined. And then you sometimes find courses that are not in that section either. Um, students can put that into the activity section. Are kids familiar with A through G, that term? Yes. So they even it's know that. Okay. California like normal that. vocabulary word. <laughs> okay. Right, right. Just like the 13 factors, A through G, everybody knows it. Okay. And interestingly enough, um, at the schools that I've worked at, and I'm, I maybe can speak for other California public and private schools, our graduation requirements oftentimes align with the A through G. So, um, and, and exceed it, but um, it's not uncommon for us to have similar requirements so that our students are all kind of in the path of our public institutions. Right. It just, it, it seems like from the moment they walk into high school, they know, or at least they have a pretty good knowledge as, as they go along of what they need to be doing to get to post-secondary. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. 
So after, after your students do this application, and then they're working on other applications in other parts of the country, do they get frustrated? Not necessarily. Um, at Justin Siena, we're a Catholic school as well, so we do have some religion courses that oftentimes don't fit in the UC system, it's, but some do. And otherwise, I think the core subject areas are... Um, they, you know, they overlap and when they don't, the additional information opportunity is where they'll explain. And so we have that leverage. Well, I guess I'm thinking about the whole process, like the ease of this application and the websites and in a bigger sense, do they, do they, it's, I feel like the answer would be, yeah, they would tend to struggle more on some of the weird things that happen across the country and the different essay prompts. Uh, is, is, that, is, that, is my hypothesis true that it gets a little frustrating outside of the California system? Yes. I mean, one student could be working on four or five different types of applications. And so it's managing all of these different directions and details and supplemental essays and it you know sometimes it takes a spreadsheet quite frankly um sure and other times you know we're breaking down what comes first which application are we focusing on focusing on first so that we can norm the process for the student uh, based on deadline is the november 30th deadline does that really work for kids is that kind of a nice little time frame because that's when it opens on the 1st of November closes on the 30th is that it's actually available to students on August 1st available to begin can't be submitted until November 1st right the submission windows for UC is November 1st through November 30th and for our other public institution which is the California State Universities the submission is October 1st through November 30th. But that's, hold on. I just had like this mind-blowing thought, which is, <laughs> our, so we have, we have problems in our state and in our country where kids are feeling like if they don't send an application in by, 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 by September 15th or September 1st, that they're behind and they're going to miss out. California schools are saying, don't worry. You can't even do it. We're not even going to take it. Do you we're, remember we're the work? Do you remember the rant I had a year ago where I said that we shouldn't even be starting this until August 1st? Do you remember that? Because because these colleges keep pushing to start sooner and sooner. Even before that. Even before that? But we've, got, we go. we've got students and families who think that if they don't send their application in to University of Kentucky by October 1st or by September 15th, they're not going to get the best scholarships there, which may or may not be true now at this point. But no, it's, that's a whole other thought like about this timeline. Of, of mm-hmm. saying, don't don't send it yet. Yeah, well, we don't have the option. <laughs> it's available. Right. They can create an account. They can start working on parts of the application as early as August 1st. Um, but it gives an opportunity for, again, for our students to also work on other applications if they're applying early action or early decision. So. Oh, true. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. they have some, that, a lot of them, probably, depending on the type of student that will have to be turned in definitely by November 1 or it's too late. Yeah. So Chris, out of all of this, let's sum up before we take a quick break. Okay. What what are the things that we have found that are not part of this process? 
no standardized test scores. Boom. Boom. No letters of recommendation. 99.5% of people get nine colleges and there's a couple random people at Berkeley. Um, additional websites like the SRAR. Oh, do any of the schools need the CSS profile, Sonia? No. And thank you because that'll be my next rant someday soon is the CSS profile, which is a double FAFSA that's harder than the FAFSA and more invasive. Um, so, so no SRAR, no CSS profile, letters of recommendation, standardized test scores. I mean, gosh, how could how could they possibly f- figure out who's going to go to their college without all this stuff? Sorry, I didn't mean to rant again. I just, you know, I'm getting kind of excited because it, it can be done. That's what we're going to get to by the time we after we take a break and get back. It 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 can be done. Um, so let's let's take a break and we'll let Sonia really dig in with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford. Okay, Sonia, please help us out here. Are you ready for some questions? Sure. We're going to pick your brain. So I, you mentioned just a little bit in the last segment, but just, just to give us kind of a frame of reference, um, tell us a little bit about your school and the student population. Okay, so we're located on 35 acres in the Napa Valley. And we serve about 600 students, grades 9 through 12. And we also serve um, three different major counties, which include Napa County, Solano County, and Sonoma County. Um, We have, um, we're a Catholic school, and we have a good community breakdown um, of diversity on our campus. And I credit that to the counties that we serve as well. Um, so we're, you know, constantly thinking about ways to expand, though uh, we also realize that the Napa Valley can be seen as rural because we're about um, an hour away from San Francisco. So so, so out of that population, roughly what percentage of your kids go to college? Um, go to college, I would say 99%. Okay. And, and what percentage, since we're talking about, about UC schools today, do you have any idea what percentage of your kids go to a UC school? Depends on the year. Um, I would say probably about 46%. Oh, wow. Approximately 46%. Approximately. (laughs) Love it. it. Depends on the year, you know? Um, Sure. And what are what are the major reasons for them choosing to go to a UC school? So many interest. I love asking that question to my students. Um, some of them want the large public school experience. They have not been in a public school most of their lives. They've done the kind of the K through eight, you know, private school experience and high school experience. Um, 
Most of our students are looking at the cost. It's pretty affordable. Tuition at UC is about $14,000. Um, that does include, obviously, room and board and expenses. Um, but the price is right for many of our families. They know that they're going to get a great education. They um, offer everything from research opportunities to athletics and clubs and organizations that the students want um, to experience. And uh, because the nine offer some distance from home, as well as being close to home and the best of both worlds, still uh, you can be eight hours away from mom and dad and still in the state of California. And they think that's great. That's going away. Um, they don't have to necessarily leave the state of California, which they love uh, for having access to the mountains and to the ocean and to the beach and just having the best of all worlds. And the climate is great. We don't really have true four seasons and lots of snow, but we have access to being in snow in just a few hours. Right. So that tuition rate, is that standard across each of the nine campuses for in-state residents? That is tuition cost at UC, correct. Wow. Chris, that's yeah. that's comparable to... I mean, that's housing it, that's, can vary, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Like, absolutely. Cost of living is different. Um, sure. I mean, Berkeley or UCLA is different than Merced, like you had mentioned off, right. offline. Right. But that tuition cost, Chris, that's pretty comparable to... It is. It's comparable. I mean, it's a li- just a, a tad more. more, a tad more than UK, a tad more than U of L, a tad more than RUC across the river from us. But, but, but not much. Not not, not, hu- much. not a huge amount. Not significantly wow. different. And it's just, I mean, this is a really understatement of the day. But but I mean, it's just hearing hearing you talk about the UC schools, they do a great job. Mm-hmm. Just with everything they do, they do just do a great job. Wow. Joel, why don't you why don't you jump into the next question that we kind of had thought ahead about because I know this was the one that's burning on your mind a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So in our last episode, we talked about class rank and whether or not it was necessary to keep or whether we thought it was necessary to get rid of it. Uh, And when we were looking at the criteria for admission, and I I mentioned it earlier, um, one of the criteria that could be considered was listed as identification by UC as being ranked in the top 9% of your high school class at the end of your junior year. And then there was a term called eligible in the local context or ELC. So, what does this mean in terms of high schools, and are you required to report class rank? We are not required to report class rank, uh, and we have never had class rank at Justin Siena. It's not on our transcript, and um, in the school profile that I provide, I also make mention of that, that we don't rank at our school. Um, but we are participants of ELC. And which means that we do have to look at our juniors, rising seniors, to, um, you know, receive the top 9% of our class who will be considered for UC eligibility. So how does that work? Like so you give them ELC, names. You're going to ultimately give them names, right? Like we're going to give them. Uh, they they will request sometimes names and address. Um, sometimes the system will ask for transcripts, and so ELC draws students from 
the top 9% of each participating high school. And what I think is super beneficial is that it helps the University of California um, give a presence on high school campuses, specifically public high schools that may not send a lot of students to UC. Um, and so it's an, I think it's a fair option for students to show that they're doing the best that they can with the resources that they have at their school. So and this the is like, that are available to them. all right, I think I understand. So this is, this is kind of like UC schools saying, Hey, we'd like your students to know that if they apply to UC, they have, they, they may have some decent eligibility compared to based on who they are in terms of where they, where they go to high school. And it helps UC reach out to, to those students and almost market themselves to those kids? Is that what we're doing? They're not reaching out per se. Um, we provide the ELC list of students to the University of California at the end of the junior year. Um, and so in the application process, students will then be identified if they meet the criteria as ELC applicants. Is ELC determined the same way across the board at each high school, or does every school figure out what the top 9% means to them? Each school identifies the top 9%. So um, like my school is a private school, it will be a different, we have less students than a public school in our area. Okay. If a student's not listed in the ELC, that doesn't mean that, like, does that discourage them? Do they think, well, I'm not in that. I don't have a chance. Not necessarily. Well, I mean, you were saying like 40, 46% approximately well, go, yeah, go to a UC. So, right. right. So that's 37% right there that right. aren't ELC students, but still end up going. Right. Okay. So remember, there's nine UCs. So our, some of our students are, you know, going to a UC Riverside versus a UC San Diego. And, you know, just depends on which UC they're applying to as well. Okay. I've got a question about test scores. So we've been talking about UC and, and they're not really using test scores. But there's another system of schools in California that you mentioned, the California State University Schools, which I think is the largest system in the country. And if I if I research right, 23 campuses, something like that? Yes. What's their policy in, in regards to test scores? This, they are followed the same model. They have suspended um, testing for the 2022-2023 um, year, and they also suspended it last year. Is that something that you think may stick, or is that just simply a COVID reaction, or to be determined, maybe? I do think it will stick, um, but we'll see. Okay. And then what about private schools out there? What seems to be, I mean, I know there's no consistency in college admissions, but... Um, what seems to be the, the general vibe toward test scores? Um, I think that most of the 
private schools in California at this time are maintaining the test optional route. And, you know, we're keeping our ears open to hear as each one posts that information. But I, from the private schools that um, we have heard from, they felt like they had a very strong applicant pool without testing or having that test optional opportunity, uh, especially making it more equitable for students who could not test to still be, um, you know, considered. So we're really happy to know that test optional is continuing for many colleges in our state and that our students are feeling um, good about the opportunity to consider sending a test should they have that access or not. Right. And we do school day testing at our school. So our students um, did have access uh, last fall. It was tough, though, um, because, you know, some of our students were quarantined and we were in a hybrid model. And so there was still some issues with access, even though we were a, a school that had school day testing. But there's a lot of option and choice, not a lot of space in California but a lot yeah. of option and, and choice. And is the California state system application as easy to use as the UC system? Yes. Is it? One big right. difference between the two applications is the California state application does not have any type of essay. Oh, really? Wow. So the term PIQ, personal insight question, is for the UC but there is no essay whatsoever for the Cal State application. With the exception of a special program called EOP, Educational Opportunity Program. And this program, which is embedded in the main application, um, if a student is interested in this program, then there are some short um, questions that they answer. Sure, and that works within the software. Because mm -hmm. I'm looking for I'm looking for things that fit under my less confusing, and you know not sending not sending somebody to a different site or anything like that. It just intuitively pops those questions up if you put yes on being interested in that program. Mm -hmm. You want me to ask the next? I've got another question. So yeah, you go so, for it, man. So space so space is obviously one barrier that that we've said several times. Are there any other barriers to applying to the UC system? for students? Um, I think that I don't see it as a barrier to the UC system, but I think students really need to take a look at the 13 factors that they list and I work with their counselor um, at their school to make sure that they are taking advantage of the opportunities they have at their school. Um, I know that many times our students are interested in majors that are impacted and impaction is a phrase that we have coined in California. It has to do with space, but it also has to do with um, majors being highly selective and students really understanding what type of uh, course choice that they're taking in high school in preparation for um, 
you know, looking at highly selective majors. Um, so that's a barrier, I think, oftentimes, you know, nursing is impacted, engineering oftentimes is impacted. Um, but there are some departments that allow students to include um, maybe a portfolio or audition and those are few and far between, but again, I think it's important for students to, to really think about their courses at high school and how much preparation and opportunity they have. One of the wonderful things that I think our students have another access to is our California community colleges and Absolutely. taking courses there when they don't have the selection at their high school. And uh, we have probably over 114 California community colleges. Um, so that's been a great asset. I see more opportunities than I see barriers. I love that. I love the way you put that. And, you know, is, is after doing this podcast for a couple of years, I mean, I think people would pretty much know that Joel and I are big fans of the community college system and the two-year system. And, mm -hmm. and we see, we see that as, as a as as an important pathway, not just like a secondary option, but a no, great no. first option. An important pathway. But some public schools have dual enrollment programs with our California community colleges, and uh, which is great. And others are again taking classes over the summer and online and in the evening, and just really expanding their opportunities. And I think that's fantastic. And do the credits from the community college system? Do they is it pretty easy to transfer to the UC or Cal State system? With some advising, I think it's important for the students to know which classes are UC CSU transferable and which are not. Sure. Um, but they get that advising to help them plan appropriately. The website, I've, I think I've been on the website to see which classes transfer between all of these systems. And it's... it's. Yeah, there's a program called assist.org. Yes. Yeah. And it worked and out pretty well. Articulation between the UC CSUs and our community colleges. Right. I use it all the time. Right, it's just probably saved on your taskbar <laughs> to pop in, to pop in to pop into that. And I, I have I have other questions that we want to get to, but just to re to re to reframe this, if we're going to fix college admissions, what I what I wrote down as you all were talking was we, we need easy to understand factors in admission so students kind of know what's expected of them, an easy to use application, and removing as many inequities as possible. Would that, like with those three things, I'm sure there's like a list of 50 more, but would those three things help help fix college admissions? I think they can always find ways to improve. Right. Um, so those are great starts. That's what we, that's what we, it gets cool. That's what we want to do. We think, we think that we need big starts, you know, and... I don't think that there are easy to understand factors in admission universally. I don't think there are easy to use applications. Maybe if I put easy to use applications and processes and, and not easy to use, but also consistent, uh, consistent applications and processes. And then I, I wanted to ask about this, this whole letters of recommendation. Um, the, the, this whole, this whole episode idea, started at a brewery in Seattle <laughs> as many things can 
you know? I think that uh, even like Nirvana, I just finished a Dave Roll book. I think Nirvana started maybe in a, in a, in a punk band, punk garage at, uh, in Seattle. But this was a brewery in Seattle. And we're talking about, you know, test scores trying to remove inequities in access and opportunity in our country. But our, our good friends, Danny Easley and Derry Pickin, were also at this brewery with me. And they were both at Kentucky Country Day. If you think test scores show inequity, what about recommendations? What about access? What, I mean, I think that's an even bigger example of, of something that's vastly different for a student who does have access to trained, low caseload counselors as opposed to other people. And the more I listen to those guys, I'm like, golly, man, you're right. Like, and, and then we start talking about California. Like, imagine a world where you didn't need a recommendation. Like, what does that do anyway? Like, all think about how much work is put into writing recommendations for students by teachers, by counselors, how much time that could be spent teaching students, planning to teach students, advising students, counseling students. If you just wipe that out, like they, that never existed. That's not a thing. I think the, the inequities that come with, with recommendations could be argued that are as big as as these as these test scores and that got us onto this talk hey look what california does no test scores no recommendations let's go so anyway that would be chris's podcast rant session number two no it's not a rant it's just (laughs) imagine imagine this so i i i want to know sonia's thoughts about letters of recommendation and and like how many you write in a year and and if you think this is a great idea that we just had at that brewery in Seattle. I'm probably standing out on a limb by saying this, but I, I enjoy writing my letters of recommendation. Um, I find it to be a time where I get to reflect on the whole student and, and share with colleges and universities um, another oppor- perspective. And sure. But I hear what you're saying because our public schools don't require that. And so I feel that I have a break from our public schools and I'm really writing for privates, some out-of-state publics. Um, And they don't, you know, it's a different system. And so I want to talk about and share my students with them. And it's it's kind of a an opportunity for me to um, to do that, but but I feel like again I'm I'm a lone soldier with that. It, it I do write um, about sixty five to seventy letters of recommendation a year, and the process begins as early I would say uh, May or June of their junior year, and through the summer and into early fall. And it is a lot of work and, and I, I enjoy it. It's my life's work. It's my vocation. It's, it's why I do college counseling. And, um, and I, I work with the student pretty closely, you know, they have to complete, you know, a a questionnaire. We have tons of meetings. Um, you know, we'll walk the track and talk like I, I know when I've asked for a letter of recommendation, I um, am careful about who I ask and, and 
uh, because I, I don't want just this kind of blanket um, narrative. So I would love to know that it didn't make or break a situation that the student would be asking because, or the college would be asking because they find it as an added value and um, would not have a negative impact. And I don't think that they do. Um, some you know colleges will say, wow, that was really helpful. And others would say, okay, that didn't help me at all. Um, but the Common App does offer, and I remember this in my public high school days, that box that you can check that says you are not able to write that letter, whether it's due to caseload or not knowing the student well enough. And I respect that as well. I don't, I don't disagree that I enjoy and like writing them. Joel and I have done sessions on the innovative letter of recommendation. I was in the one in Boston with Michelle Rasich and that group who, who, who did the, I remember that. Who yeah. changed lives. It was, it was, a, it, was yes. it was Rex that changed lives. Um, I just feel bad sometimes when I know students are out there who don't really have me, you, and Joel, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do those. And maybe maybe not having one. I would never check that box. I would stay up all night, every night before I would check before I would check that box. I'm sure Joel probably has. But uh, but yeah, it's just I I appreciated the simplicity of the of the California system and how they're able to make good decisions about who gets into their school without without that so so i guess let's wrap it up with this and and hopefully be as be as kind to us as as you can is this just a pipe dream that we have can can we really is there any way we can get colleges to standardize this process or maybe even just the public schools um or or is there no hope what do you think? I'm going to say that I think that there is hope to norm this process. And I think it starts with um, college counselors and school counselors giving feedback to colleges and universities about the, the day-to-day of what it takes to get the student through the process and, and um, having them understand a little bit more. You know, it's I've been out of public education for about a decade, and um, it's easy to forget how crazy that was, <laughs> having a caseload of 700 to 1. Um, but... We, we have a lot of work to do, and when one brilliant idea is to invite and, and encourage admissions representatives to kind of walk the walk with us, um, get an understanding of what our side of the desk is like, and I think that can bring back some really good information to the admissions offices to decide Know, what do we really need to evaluate an application? And the testing is, is for those colleges that are now joining the test optional realm, you know, kudos to them and, and for keeping that going. Um, but I think there's a lot of data in the next couple of years that are going to help colleges start to 
make small tweaks to norming processes. I hope so. I hope so. And I, I, I always think it's important for, for us to know what they do and for, for them to know what we do. Remember our session, come on, man. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. We did this session at one of our state <laughs> conferences and basically it was called come on, man. And we like put up on the slide, like annoy, like the things that annoyed us the most about what a college did. And then the college, and we didn't share it with each other. We had a moderator who was the only person who knew what we were going to say. And then we had two college people, two high school people. And we're like, how about when you do this? Come on, man. And, but people liked it. They said they thought it was a fun way to, to understand our own worlds. Well, with that, I think it's going to be time to take a break. I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this episode, just both for the conversation, uh, who the conversation's with, and, and just this whole topic has made me think about a lot of things. So uh, I know Chris will chime in as well, but Sonia, you're awesome. No, um, we're big fans. We're big Maybe fans. You don't, I think you know it, but it's true. We're, like really, we're really big fans of you. Huge fans. Well, I hope I offered some good information and I encourage everybody to come uh, visit our California public schools. And one plug I want to put out there is every fall, the UC and CSU system offers their annual conference. Um, Obviously, last year it was virtual. And and, um, so if it's virtual again, you'll be able to access it from wherever you are. I have attended it for decades and I always learn something new and, um, you know, join and learn more about it. We, we have a great system. We'd love to, and I will do a better job advertising it to my students here in this part of the country. Proud product of the CSU. There you go. There you go. And with that, let's take a break. And when we get back, we'll finish up with our four lenses and Chris's word of wisdom. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Joel, let's hit those four lenses to address all types of listeners for this podcast. Let's start off. If you're an independent or a school counselor, as a counselor, your primary job is to advocate for students. While the UC system for admission may not be the answer to the world's problems, or even the world of college admissions problems, I think any way we can advocate for the system to have less obstacles, less hoops, less barriers, whatever you want to call it, the better. I think it does put a bit of an onus on the school counselor to make sure they produce a quality school profile, um, you know, because we were talking about comparing a student to the local context. But otherwise, the system seems to put control more in the hands of the students, and that is not a bad thing at all. Well, Joel, I'm going to take your advice to to advocate, and I will say this. If you're at a university, put the student first. If you have a chance to simplify the process, do it. If you have a discussion that would lead to a more complicated process, don't do it. When you meet with your president, provost, or anyone else like that, stand up for students. The more you simplify, the more accessible you are to underserved students, underrepresented minority applicants, and students simply without resources. Simplify. If you're a parent, 
I think the temptation here is to see the criteria in print being used and saying, okay, Johnny, let's check everything off on this list and you'll be admitted to college X. That's just going to lead to a student who is burned out and it's going to put an inordinate amount of pressure upon them. Everything in moderation. Parents, remember to support your students, but don't push them into doing too much just to build a resume. They only get one run at their high school experience. So remember, help them enjoy it. If you're a student, there's not a lot to say here, except that, that we hope you have a better understanding of the California college system. I suppose I, I could add that whether you have great resources or not, seek out help. Even counselors with high caseloads will help you if you find them. They may not have the time to be in classrooms or to be that visible through the day. But if you ask, they, they will help seek them out. And if you're a teacher, the UC system looks beyond numbers and places so much emphasis on the qualitative, the quality of courses taken, the extent of extracurriculars, the special projects undertaken. The trend is moving away from the quantitative. Within your department, do your best to provide the most interesting, rigorous course offerings. Double down on project-based learning to give your students the richest possible experience and sponsor the richest tapestry of extracurriculars and clubs that you can. These elements can be the highlight of the school day and also help colleges get the most complete picture possible of your students. There's our four, nope, five, five lenses for the day. Good job, Mike. And with that, it's time to wind down this episode where we'll finish up with Chris's words of wisdom. Chris, what's the word today? Patience. That's my word to help guide me through 2022. Every year, our family um, has a word that Jen shares with me. I always approve. And we share it with our kids around Christmas. Uh, Jen even bought the kids. When I say kids, Jake is 25, finishing law school this year. Emily's 24, married, and in her first year of teaching at my elementary school when I was a kid. Lindsay is in her first year at the University of Kentucky. But we gave the kids, she bought the kids an hourglass. When they're feeling impatient, turn it. If they're having a fight with their significant other, turn it over. Resume when it's done. Um, if if I'm going to to rant about lights left on overnight or the toaster and egg pan left out all day, I could be patient and figure out what battles to fight. Uh, maybe maybe the word of wisdom is really just pick a word for the year that helps guide you. Um, if you like ours. Go for it. But it, it is nice for our family to, to have that as a focus and a common connection. Uh, and I wish all of you the best, whether you're listening to this in 2022 when we recorded it or in future years when we're famous. <laughs> Joel, <laughs> thanks for giving me this space. What else do you have for us? Well, always remember, you can listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at, at GetSchooled3, at AskMrReeves, and at the Mr. Ford. That's the Mr. 4D. And on the internet at AskMrReeves.com slash GetSchooled. Joel, please tell our listeners about the next episode. For the next episode, we're going to look at an important part of the admissions process and one that the student really has control over, the essay. What makes a good essay? What makes a good essay prompt? 
or a bad one for that matter. What are colleges really wanting to hear from students in that essay? All of that and more next time on Get School. We'll see you then. Hit it at 17. Oh lord, that's only five seconds. Yeah, get ready. expressed by the hosts of the Get Schooled by Reason Ford podcast are their own and are not necessarily representative of any groups or schools to which they belong.